Tonight, as I said, we'll be in Genesis chapter 18. Remember, I want you to think back, I want you to remember the very first time you encountered the Lord. Maybe it was in a church setting like this, and it was an altar call, and the Lord was stirring up your heart, and you answered that call. Maybe you were in your bedroom, and you heard a sermon. Maybe you were driving home, and you heard something on the radio, and you encountered the Lord in some way. Maybe you didn't see him, but you encountered the Lord. That day that you committed your life to Jesus Christ. Now, if you're the beginning of your faith was, was anything like mine, um, there was probably a passion that was produced then, like a, like a zeal, like a desire. Lord, thank you so much for saving me. I'm a wretched sinner. My life is yours. I want to do anything and everything I can to serve you with my whole heart. Anybody experience that? Like, I want to do anything I can. She says, I, can't, I know I can't pay you back, but I want to pay you back if I can with my life. Like, you gave me your life, you died for me, I want to do anything, I want to serve you, Lord. But what happens, sadly, over time, is we can kind of get in this funk, and we can forget the grace that was bestowed on us. And we haven't seen the Lord or encountered him in a while, and that passion isn't there, that zeal isn't there anymore. And sometimes all we need is just a fresh encounter. We just need to see him again and remember what he did. And when we have those fresh encounters, when we see God work again, often it renews that passionate desire in our hearts to serve him. This leads me to the title of this message, Seeing God Leads to Serving God. Seeing God Leads to Serving God. Now, we're going to look here uh, at this story with Abraham in Genesis chapter 18 and this encounter that he has with the Lord and how it spurs on this zeal and this passion to serve him. Now, we have seen the Lord encounter Abraham several times, right? And we talked about some of these time gaps that have happened. The first time he was 75 years old back in Genesis uh, chapter 12. And then there was like 12, 13 years that came by. He encountered him again. Then he had Ishmael. Then 13 years later, he encounters him again. Now we're going to see the Lord encounter Abraham once again, and I want to focus on tonight this, this character of Abraham and his heart to serve the Lord, how he responds to seeing God. In Genesis chapter 18, picking it up in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord appeared to him, by the terebinth trees, by Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. It says, then the Lord appeared to him. That's the Lord, Yahweh, appear, appeared to Abraham once again. This was a physical appearance of God. Now, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. We know that this was uh, very soon after his last encounter in, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, when God appeared to Abraham because Sarah isn't pregnant yet. And you remember in the last chapter, God had promised Abraham and Sarah that she would have a baby, she would have a son, she would have Isaac in the next year. 
So this is between one and three months of time, okay? Between the last appearance in Genesis chapter 17 and this next appearance. Important to know as we uh, move along in scripture and some things that come up later, but this is a, it's a Christophany or a theophany. This is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. See, John chapter 1 verse 18 um, and other scriptures in Exodus as well says that no one has seen God at any time. Speaking of God the Father, we're going to see here in verse 2 that there's three men. One of these men is Yahweh. Wait, Yahweh and man, this is God, but this is man. Who is this? This is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. And we see this several times, many times throughout Scripture. You have Joshua chapter 5, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter uh, 17. Um, You see this many times in the Old Testament. See, Jesus existed before he was a man, right? He was always God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Jesus always existed, okay? And what, we, what scholars call the appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, often referred to as the angel of the Lord, they call it a theophany or a Christophany. This is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Okay, and he, he comes to Abraham in the heat of the day. Abraham is hot. He's sitting in his tent, and here comes the Lord. Pick it up in verse 2. It says, So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. He ran to meet these three men. Now, hospitality was a culturally expected thing. If someone came to your house or came on your property, um, still even in this day, in in not only the um, Hebrew and and Middle Eastern culture, but even in Africa and other areas, hospitality, if somebody comes on your property, you welcome them in, you feed them, you give them a place to stay. This was what was expected uh, in this time, in this culture, but there's something different. See, Abraham ran to meet these three men. Remember, how old is Abraham? 99 years old. And Abraham's hot, sitting in his tent. These three men come up and he starts running. Okay, he's running towards these three men. Now, I can't imagine that Abraham was running very fast. But it says that he was running, this 99-year-old man. There's this passion and this zeal to meet these three men. Why? Because he knows who one of these men are. He knows this is the Lord. He knows this is Jesus Christ. Now, his name wasn't Jesus Christ at the time, but we know that this is the Lord and he has a passionate desire to encounter him. So he runs to these three men and bows himself to the ground. Another uh, culturally accepted thing in this time, in this era, showing respect And it says in verse 3, after he bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. My Lord, that's singular, right? There's three men. He knows one is Lord, right? He says, My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass 
sorry, do not pass on by your servant. And then he's going to say some things. Let me, let me bring your water so we can have your feet washed and let me bring you food and all these different things. But I want to key on one thing. Abraham was excited to serve the Lord. See, it's an honor to serve the Lord, not an obligation. And that brings me to my first of three points, only three tonight. We're getting smaller and smaller. Serving the Lord is an honor, not an obligation. Serving the Lord is an honor, not an obligation. He says, if you have favor on me, then I know you'll allow me to serve you. This is an opportunity. This isn't an obligation. This is an honor. This is a privilege. But as I started this message, so often we can look at the service of the Lord as an obligation. The passion, it's just burnt out. The zeal, it's just not where it used to be. If you begin to see serving the Lord as an obligation, then you should try to remember why you began serving the Lord to begin with. And maybe, maybe you just need that fresh encounter as we talked about. But I want to look at an example in the New Testament in Luke chapter 10, pretty popular one of this difference between serving out of obligation and serving um, out of privilege. In Luke chapter 10 Verse 38, this is the story of Mary and Martha. We see Jesus is invited into the house of Mary and Martha. And Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. See, it's not a bad thing that Martha was serving in this setting. It's not a bad thing to serve the Lord. He calls us to serve him. But the problem was she was worried and troubled. She wasn't doing it with the right heart. She was serving Jesus out of obligation. She was working for Jesus and not working with Jesus. See, when we find ourselves worried and troubled while we're serving the Lord in ministry, you can usually boil it down to either one or two things. First of all, either we're not abiding in him, we're serving him, we're working for him, but we're not abiding in him. Or number two, we're doing things that he's not asking us to do. We're doing work he hasn't asked us to do. He wasn't asking Martha to serve in that setting. She wasn't abiding, him, abiding in him, nor... Does the scripture say that, that Jesus asked her to serve him in that setting? He said, Mary was doing the right thing in this particular setting. All I wanted you to do is sit at my feet and hear my word. So if we find ourselves in that place where we're getting burnt out, where we're getting worried and troubled in our service to the Lord, ask yourself, am I abiding in the Lord? Am I doing this in my own strength? Or am I abiding in the Lord and leaning on his strength? Or number two, Am I doing something he's not asking me to do? 
Am I, am I serving the Lord out of obligation because I, I think that's what I'm supposed to do as a Christian? Yeah, we're called to be servants. But there's many different ways that we can serve the Lord. And we've got to make sure that we're tuning into that still, small voice and allowing the Lord and the Spirit to speak to us and tell us, hey, this is, this is the capacity at which I want you to serve. And maybe it's just for a season. It's funny, I was talking to Mike about this a little bit. The Lord is just working there. Sometimes God just has you serve in a certain place, in a certain setting for a season. And then he tells you to move on, to do something different. But we can get so stuck in, this is how I serve the Lord. And you start getting stressed out. You start getting bent out of shape. You start getting worried. You start getting troubled. And it's like, when's the last time you asked God if you're supposed to even be serving in that ministry or be a part of that thing? Maybe your time is up. Maybe he has something else for you. But we have to be in tune. We have to be seeking the Lord. So maybe, because like I said before, maybe he wants you in that place, but you're just not abiding in him and you're not leaning on his strength. See, the Lord, yeah, he wants, he wants our service, but he wants us to work with him, not for him, okay? When we get to this place where we're just working for him, we're not working with him, then it's a problem. We're bound to get burnt out. What do I mean? He's given us the power of his spirit, the strength we need to do the service of the Lord. And if you look with me in Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord's yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's not asking us to carry our own, own yoke. He's asking us to get yoked up next to him. And the picture is oxen. They would put two oxen together and usually they'd have one oxen that was stronger than the other and the bigger, stronger oxen would lead the other oxen. But they'd have two oxen working at once, the stronger one leading. We're like little baby calves. And Jesus is like this huge, giant oxen. He's saying, get yoked up next to me. I'm not telling you to, 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 to do all this work on your own. I'm just saying, hey, do this with me. I'm gonna carry you. I'm gonna strengthen you. Get yoked up next to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Back to Genesis chapter 18. Look what Abraham says here. Again, I'm going to reread it. He says, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. What he's asking, Lord, let me serve you. If I have found favor in your sight, let me serve you. It was only by the grace of God, only by his favor, that he would allow Abraham to serve him. See, the opportunity to serve is a sign of God's favor on your life. The fact that you get the opportunity to serve is grace. It's God's favor. He only allows you to serve him if you have his favor, and that's what grace is. It's unmerited, unearned favor from God. It's by God's grace that we're able to serve him. It's Titus 2, 11 to 14. It's a long scripture, um, but, uh, but I just want to key in on, on, on two sections, the beginning and the end, actually. In Titus chapter 2, 
verse 11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us, listen, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. For the grace of God... That brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace teaches us, if you read through this text, grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Grace leads us, God's hope for extending grace to us is that we would become zealous for good works. That we would understand God's favor. We would be so grateful that it would lead us to be zealous, that it would lead us to be passionate about doing the work of the Lord. That's what grace should do teach us. It's not that we work for grace. It's our response to grace should lead to being zealous for good works. He wants us to be excited and and passionate about serving him. And that's what we see here with Abraham. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 18, verse 4. He says, please let a little water be brought and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may may pass by, and as much as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. Look at some of these words here. He says, let me get some water to, to, to bring to you to wash your feet, and I'll bring a morsel of bread... Does this remind you of anything? Did you like thinking about anything? The Last Supper, John chapter 13. There's a lot of symbolism here. We're not going to get into all of it. Even the terebinth tree, there's, there's connections there. But we see Abraham doing some acts of service that were very similar to the acts of service that Jesus did in John chapter 13. Jesus washed the disciples' feet. He broke bread with them. He gave the morsel of bread to Judas. Not to add confusion. We'll just keep it simple. So this is the second point, and I'll make it clear as I talk through some of this. Serve like Jesus and be served like Jesus. Serve like Jesus and be served like Jesus. Let me go through the first part of that, and then I'll go through the second part of that so that we understand. I promise you'll understand after all is said and done, it doesn't say that Abraham washed their feet. He may have, but likely he had one of his servants do it. He brought the water to make sure that it was done, but he noticed that this duty, this task needed to be done. He brings them food. He brings them bread. And we see a lot of the characteristics that he portrays is very much like the servant Jesus Christ. We're called to serve like Jesus. And this is what he tells us. If we look at John chapter 13, John chapter 13, verse 14, after he washes the disciples' feet, he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. 
Jesus says, I've given you, exam- given you an example. Wash each other's feet. You see how I've served you in this moment? I want you to serve each other in the same way that I just served you. That's what Jesus came to do. That was one of the reasons he came to the, this earth, right? It's Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He, he sacrificed his life in the ultimate act of service. That was the ultimate act of service, being nailed to the cross, dying for our sins, dying the death that we deserve. That was the example that Jesus set. And he told his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 13, um, very shortly before he was handed over in the garden, he says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. That was something that he was going to do, leading by example, but something that he actually expected of the disciples as well. Why? Serving, it's a sacrifice. It costs us something. But laying down our lives, it it doesn't always necessarily mean that, that we're dying, actually physically dying for someone else. It's laying down our lives in the little things. Because if we're not laying down our lives in the little things, we're not going to lay our lives down to the big things. So let's keep it small. Practice laying down our lives in the little things. It's like the husband's taking the trash out, cooking dinner every once in a while. It could be the little things. Actually washing each other's feet. Like just those little acts of service go such a long way, but it's the example of Jesus. And this is amazingly some of the character qualities that we see here with Abraham mimicking Jesus. Not that he knew the story of John chapter 13, but it's interesting the connection here. And I said this point, serve like Jesus and be served like Jesus. Remember, one of these men's is the pre-incarnate Christ. It is the Lord. Look what it says in the last part of verse five. It says, they said, do as you have said. What does that mean? They're saying, okay, serve us. You can serve us. We'll we'll be served by you. See, if the servant of all Jesus Christ is okay with being served by others, we gotta follow that example too. Some of you might feel uncomfortable when people go out of their way to serve you. Yeah, some of you might be very independent. And when somebody tries to lean a helping hand, you're like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. I've seen it so many times with um, people that I've worked with and they got like all these bags of groceries and they're carrying boxes and all that. Hey, you need some help? No, I got this. I'm good. I'm good. It's like, what? I'm here. I can help you. No, I don't need the service. I don't need your help. And it's like, wait a minute. No, if Jesus Christ is allowing Abraham to serve him, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, he's the example, the perfect example, then we sometimes need to humble ourselves and allow others to serve us. God didn't ask us to do this Christian life alone. We're called the body of Christ for a reason. We're called to work together. There's going to be certain times in each of our lives that we need help. We need to extend and say, hey, Will somebody help me out? And, and those other people need to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to lend a hand. And we got to be able to be humble enough to receive that extension 
of someone else's help. Have you ever had your feet washed? Has anyone ever had their feet washed? Feel a little uncomfortable? It's a little uncomfortable, right? It's weird, right? Why? Someone's like serving you and getting like in your toes and it's like, my feet, I don't even touch my feet. And you're touching my feet, that's gross. It's like, come on. It's like, it's, it's more uncomfortable to have your feet washed than it is to wash someone else's feet. And I'm not a big fan of feet, but I would rather wash someone else's feet than have my feet washed. Sometimes that takes more humility to actually let someone wash your feet. We have to allow others to help us. So I think this often happens because we feel uh, unworthy to be served. But sometimes the Lord will teach us through being served. So at, at Twin Peaks, um, Pastor Mike McGovro, um, we would bring the Patmos students there sometimes on Sunday nights and things. Um, and they have like a, a dinner thing at five o'clock. And at the end, Mike, Pastor Mike's always grabbing everybody's plates, you know? And it's like, he's the pastor, he's the senior pastor there. And it's like, he's like, he goes to grab your plate. I remember like the first time, I'm like, oh, I got it. He's like, no, don't take my blessing. It's like, dang, I got to humble myself and let this man serve me. I was like, man, I felt like just so small. Okay, yeah, here, take the plate. And then I started trying to pick up plates, but uh, it's so interesting how much humility it takes just to be served. Some of us need to learn how to be served. We don't have to do it all on our own. And I had to learn this early in marriage. I'm still learning this. I was very independent. I like to do, I like to cook for myself, do my own laundry. I like things done a specific way. And the Lord just broke me of that. No, you have to allow your wife to serve you. She's going to learn how to cook. She's going to, she's a great cook, but I actually enjoy doing it. You know, and she's going to, you're going to have to let her do your laundry the way she wants to do, not the way that's like, your little OCD mind works, okay? And you just gotta let her serve you. And the Lord has taught me so much through that and has actually brought us closer together. When I resist it, it's like offensive. So I stop. Genesis chapter 18, verse six. I'm a work in progress. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So first off, we see Abraham still running around. He's hurrying. He met them, and this just wasn't like a man-pleasing thing. He met them, then he hurried to continue serving them, even when they're not looking. He hurried to make sure that he provided for them. We need to serve with a sense of urgency, a sense of excitement. We need to serve the Lord each day as if it's our last. See, we see here in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, we see this parable, sorry, the story of a, of a wicked and faithful servant. And it says, I'll just read the story, verse 45, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. So we see the, the, the faithful servant, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He has this sense of urgency. He's waiting on the Lord. And when the master comes, he finds him 
being faithful to what he asked him to do. And now we see this wicked servant in verse 48. But if that evil servant says in the heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at any hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We see the comparison of the faithful servant and the evil servant. And the difference is one is serving with urgency. They have, a, they have an expectation that Christ is coming back soon. The other one's like, whatever, it's been a couple thousand years. I'm just going to while out a little bit. We need to serve with a sense of urgency. That's what we see with Abraham here. He hurried. You never know when that last day on earth is going to be for you. I think we need to be people. We need to be servants that make sure that when we meet our maker, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So there's this meme that was sent to me the other day. Like, you know the memes, like the pictures with the words on it? Okay, that has nothing to do with the teaching. It's just funny. Okay, so there's this meme, right? You guys know what memes are? The pictures with the words. They're like on the internet and stuff. People put them on Facebook or they'll send them to you. So it's a picture, like a painting of Jesus. It might be the Last Supper. He's like eating with his disciples and um, one of the disciples comes to him and says, uh, Jesus, Lord, how would you like your steak? And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Uh, it's pretty, it was pretty funny. I got sent it the other day. But hopefully, Jesus says that to us, not referring to how he wants a steak, but how we live our lives. And he says, look here, he brought him three measures of fine meal. Fine meal, the finest. He, he ran to the herd and took a calf. We see here Abraham is giving the Lord his best. Not the last or the least of what he had. He's giving the Lord his best. And this is the third point. Serve the Lord with your best. Serve the Lord with your best. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 22 and 23. I'll read it for you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. It says, Bond servants, we're all called to be bond servants of Jesus Christ. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. God wants our best. Serve the Lord with a whole heart, not to please men, but to please God. Not a piece of your heart, but the whole thing. We see in Malachi chapter 1, I'll just read it. I'm flipping a lot tonight. Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 says, On the other end, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? The priests were the servants. Yet you say... In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? 
Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. What was happening, happening was the priests, the servants of the Lord, were, were giving God their least, their last, the blind, the lame, the sick lambs, and they were supposed to give them the unblemished lambs, the perfect lambs. God gives us his best. We should respond and give God our best, but that's not what the priests were doing. So God says, you wouldn't do this to, to, your, to your leaders that are men. You wouldn't do this to your governors, but you'll do this to me. You'll give, us, you'll give me your least. You'll give me your last. I would rather you not give me anything at all. I want your best. With the Lord, it's all or nothing. He doesn't just want a piece. He wants the whole thing. Serve the Lord with your best. Picking it back up in Genesis chapter 18, verse 8, it says, So he took butter and milk and the calf. Look at this. This is for you Bible students. He took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. This is Jesus eating an unkosher meal. Butter, milk, and the meat. Interesting. For those legalists out there, he's eating an unkosher meal. But I want to hit on one thing. Look what Abraham's doing. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. It doesn't say that Abraham sat with them and ate with them. He's standing there just watching them eat. He's standing there waiting on the Lord. Is this what it means to wait on the Lord? This is what I believe it means to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord doesn't just mean that we're waiting for Him to do something. It means we're serving Him with the anticipation that He might ask us to do something. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm just sitting there being available. Yeah, He might do something, but I want to make sure if He needs anything, if He says anything, I'm here to serve Him. Not looking at what He can do for me, what Lord, what, can I, what do you need from me? You've done enough for me. You died on a cross for me. Picking it up in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9. It says, Then he said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will, certain, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Sarah's eavesdropping. Apparently, in those tents, there was like a little back space for like that the women would hang out and, and, and she's eavesdropping and she overhears this thing. But look at what he says. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Wait a minute, you just told me this. Like, could have been days ago, could have been months ago, but it was within the last three months. We've already heard the Lord say this several times, but he's reminding Abraham again, once again, of this promise. I love this about God. Though he delays in fulfilling this promise, it's been 25 years. Though he delays in fulfilling the promise, he's so intent on continuing to remind Abraham of the promise. He keeps reminding him why he's encouraging him. Abraham, this thing's gonna happen. I promise you. Sometimes all we need is a little encouragement from the Lord to remind us of the promises that he's already given us. Sometimes we just need that little word, that little reminder. Could tell us the same thing that he told us a few years ago, but sometimes, God, I just need that word from you to give me the motivation and the encouragement that I need to continue on. 
It's Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When the Lord speaks to us, it, it grows our faith. He might tell us the same thing over and over again, but it's like, okay, all right, I just needed you to remind me of that thing. You know, maybe God is encouraging them so that they'll act on the promise. Maybe that's the reason that he's coming to them. Why? Because this particular promise, they had to do something to help God fulfill the promise. This wasn't like the promise of Mary where the Holy Spirit conceived the child. Abraham and Sarah had to come together and know each other so that this promise could be fulfilled. Hey guys, I'm reminding you of the promise, but you gotta do something with this. You guys have to, you know, there's kids in the room. Um, so he reminds them once, of, once again of what he promised them and called them to. See, sometimes I need this. Um, often I need this. Uh, just before last term, uh, I remember praying after the term was over. It's so easy to get discouraged and yada, yada, yada. We all have our things. And I'm praying, Lord, like, God, you know, I know you've called me to be a teacher, but I'm doubting and like, I'm questioning and like, is this really what you called me to do? God, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Lord, what do you want from me? Yada, yada, yada. And right off the bat, he brought, brings me to Jeremiah chapter one. And basically he said, this is what I've called you to. This is what I've created you for. And I will give you the words to speak. 30 minutes later, Andy Dean, the director of the Bible college, texted me and said, hey, I want you to teach the Bible college this semester. It's like, okay, God, I knew this is what you called me to, but I just needed that encouragement. I just needed that word from you. I don't care whoever tells me, oh, you, that's a great teaching. That was good, yada, yada, yada. It's totally different when you hear it from the Lord. When the Lord tells you, no, this is what I've called you to, it gives us the faith, it gives us the encouragement to continue on. And that's what I think that he might be doing here with Abraham and Sarah. Hey, I'm reminding you of the promise to encourage you in it, but I also desire you to act on it. See, I had to act on this, this thing that God gave me and this promise that he gave me, much like Abraham and Sarah did. Genesis chapter 18, verse 11. It says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? This wasn't a laugh like Abraham's back in Genesis chapter 17. Abraham laughed when God said this, but Abraham was laughing out of amazement. Like, oh my gosh, God, you're really going to do this? Sarah's laughing out of disbelief. And we see the difference because of the way that God confronts the situation. But it says that she laughed within herself. This doesn't, this is like, she didn't laugh out loud. This wasn't an LOL. This was a, she's laughing within herself. Like there was no audible noise that came out, but God knew. Look what happens in verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
there's nothing too hard for the Lord. You know what's interesting, really interesting about this text? This word hard here is the same word that's used for the word wonderful in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That's the same word for hard. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a lot of implications here. Is anything too hard for the Lord or too wonderful for the Lord? I think not. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Luke chapter 1, verse 30. We see the fulfillment of this promise, the fullness of this promise being fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, it would go down the lineage of Isaac and Jacob and um, Judah later on, David, but it would be completely fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Then the angel said to her, speaking to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and she'll call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. This is the fulfillment of this. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there there anything impossible to the Lord? God did what was hard. He did what was wonderful. He did what was impossible in bringing his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. If God can give us Jesus Christ, he can give us anything. If that wasn't too hard for God, a virgin conceives, gives birth to the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, then there's nothing too hard for the Lord. If you're doubting his power, if you're doubting God's power, remember Jesus. If you're doubting his love, remember Jesus. If you're doubting his faithfulness to fulfill his promises, remember Jesus. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. See, Giving us Jesus was probably the hardest thing that God ever had to do. He gave us his only begotten son to die the death that we deserved. And we know for that moment in time when Jesus said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? That moment Jesus is bearing the weight of the world's sins on his shoulders and him and the Father for the first time and only time in history, they're separated. That had to be a hard thing for God. He he can do that, and there's nothing too hard for God. He can do 
anything. Genesis chapter 18, verse 15. But Sarah denied it. The Lord says, hey, why'd Sarah laugh? And Sarah denies it saying, I did not laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. She's like, wait, I didn't laugh out loud. How do you know I laughed? I didn't really laugh, but I did laugh. In my heart, I laughed. He said, I know you laughed and you denied it. We can't let our fear of God lead us to lie to God. We do this sometimes. It's like those things in our heart, we try to pretend like they're not there. He knows the truth. He knows what's in our heart of hearts. We're not going to fool him. You can't say, no, God, that's not in there. He's like, yes, it is. I know it is. Well, it didn't come out, but it's in your heart. And I'm going to address it because it's in your heart. Sometimes instead of just simply confessing our sins, we can try to pretend and say we didn't do this certain thing, just digging ourselves a deeper hole. But the Lord, he doesn't just want us to confess the outward sins. He wants us to confess the sins that we do within, the sins of the heart. He wants us to confess so that we can be healed, so that we can be cleansed. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And we know that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He wants us to confess so he can forgive and cleanse. This even includes the sin of unbelief. Sarah laughed because she didn't believe God. That was her sin. It wasn't that she laughed. It was because she didn't believe God. It's okay to struggle with faith in God. It's okay to wrestle with, I don't know if I really believe you're gonna fulfill this promise. The Lord would rather you fess up than pretend like it's not there. He would rather you confess that sin of unbelief so that he can work that thing out in your heart. We see it, and this is where we'll close. In Mark chapter nine, we see this man that comes to Jesus Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, this man comes to Jesus and his son has a mute spirit. And he comes to Jesus because Jesus is his only hope. And he asks Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And the man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but I still have doubts. Like, no, I've never seen someone do something like this. You say you can do this, but I've never seen it. I have a little bit of faith, but not full-fledged faith. Lord, I'm confessing you. I believe, but there's part of me that, that doesn't believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. Give me the faith to trust in your abilities, to trust in your promises. I have that mustard seed, but grow it so that it'll become something more, so that I don't doubt, so that I don't, that I don't waver. He would rather you confess that sin of unbelief and just pretend like it's not there. We're all Christians here. We all have faith or we wouldn't be in this room, but hey, even I have times where I'm like, Lord, I'm struggling, I'm doubting. What's happening in my life? Where are you? I thought you said this, but now this is happening. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so often the Lord is so faithful to give you that just, either it's a word or an act or a, something happens and he gives you just what you need to, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm right here with you. I want to encourage you and spur you on in your faith. See, service has to be rooted in faith. 
If we don't trust God, then we're not going to follow His word and His ways. It takes faith to become the servant that Jesus Christ called us to become. Why? Because it's completely contradictory to the way of the world. It's completely different than what our culture says. Our culture says, be selfish. The American dream, dog eat dog to the top. Make it for yourself. We're all in it to win it for ourselves. The first will be first. But Jesus says, no, first will be last. And the last will be first. He flips the script on everything that we think. The ways of this world takes faith to believe what Jesus is saying. First will be last. Put myself last. Deny myself. Yeah. Everything that the world says, do like the opposite. That's almost the sum of Jesus' teachings. It takes faith to believe these things. It takes faith to walk in these things. It takes faith, faith to trust that this is the way we're to live our lives. He's calling us to be like him, a servant of all. But we need to ask for the faith needed to carry that out in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, God, and um, the calling to serve you. Lord, in whatever capacity that it is, we see Abraham's heart here and in the way um, he, he served you and the character that he had, and he saw it as your favor on his life that he had the opportunity to serve you. Jesus, and I pray that you would give us the faith and the character needed to serve like you served, that we would follow in your example. It goes completely against our flesh and our selfishness and our sin struggles and what we learn from our culture and the world. God, but it's your way. Lord, help us to trust your way. Give us the faith needed. We love you in your name. Amen.